Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the first installment of GVN's Talking Comics. I'm Martin. Today, our guest is the multi-talented J.M. DeMatteis. Recently, IDW released a one-off Star Trek story that was based on the Mirror Universe from the original series, and then they blended in Khan from the episode Space Seed. Uh, so when I heard about that, I, I just knew that uh, it was going to be uh, great, and I was even more excited when I realized that JM was writing it. So uh, it, it just recently came out and it was everything I pretty much had hoped it would be. And I knew after reading it that I needed to get JM back so we could talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, his upcoming writing seminar, Imagination 101, and uh, just about anything else we can fit in in probably 30 to 40 minutes. Let's welcome to our first edition of Talking Comics, JM DeMatteis. How, how's it going, JM? I'm doing well, all things considered. I'm doing well. Excellent. Okay, uh, we're going to kind of just jump right into uh, Hell's Mirror. Now, okay. It, okay, it has been almost 40 years, 1982, I guess, since you had uh, last did a Star Trek story, which I believe was for Marvel. Uh, I, did, I think the last issue uh, was right when I started at Marvel, and they, they got the rights to Star Trek, the motion picture, so they did a spinoff series from that. And I, if I remember correctly, they couldn't do anything really with any other iterations or earlier versions, the earlier versions of Star Trek. So they were always in the Star Trek, the motion picture uh, uniforms and sort of in that post Star Trek motion picture universe. And I ended up uh, writing what was the final issue of that series. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, like I said, it's been almost 40 years since you did. So as far as Hell's Mirror, now I know that in the past we've talked about where you've had stories that you kind of went through evolutions as you were writing them. Was this something mm -hmm. that you've been working on for a bit? Or was well, this something uh, that IDW? Yeah, they, they, you know, they, they came to me and said, hey, we're doing this Star Trek thing. And all they had to say was, uh, it's the Mirror Universe and Khan and the original series. And I was sold because I'm a huge, huge Star Trek fan. And, you know, 80, 90, well, maybe 98% of my love is with the original <laughs> series. Let's be honest. I love yeah. it more than any of it. You could, you, could, you could put all the other versions together and it wouldn't equal my love for the original series. Not that I don't enjoy the other shows at all, but I am just really hardcore with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. I understand that. Of course, uh, like when Next Generation came on, I was really uh, skeptical because, uh, you know, the original series was what I knew. Uh, right. So, right. Uh, it, I, now, eventually, I did, I did like the uh, Next Generation. But as as did I. Time. Yeah, I remember the, watching the, the early episodes and thinking, oh, man, this is not very good. And <laughs> then it got really good. You know, they took them a while to find their their voice. But once they found it, uh, it was a great show. Yep. And so, so, so the idea, the basic premise of it was IDW's idea? Yes. Yes. Okay. So did what kind of did that give you pretty much freedom to go I mean, just with that basic premise where you wanted to go? Yeah, they gave me the premise and said, come up with a story. And, and here's the great thing for me that happened was 
And I'm thinking that they want me to hew closely to the original episode, you know, the basics of that episode, but just put it in the mirror universe. And the note I got back from CBS, which is, you know, the licensor on that, was, no, make it as different from the episode as you want. So that really set me free to tell what in the end uh, was a much bigger story than the original Space Seed story was. It's really a, it's a, considering it was just a 24 page one shot, we, it's a pretty epic story that we tell. And so they, they, they um, yeah, they unleashed me basically. And, and that made it, that made, the project would have been fun no matter what, but that made it even more fun because I really got to make the story my own. I say, and of course, you know, Khan's always been kind of one of my favorite characters because he's complex. He's very uh, right, and you know, between you know the whole genetic enhancement thing, and very much of intellectual, uh, which actually works out great in your story because it's kind of the way he's kind of trying to push everything. Uh, of course, the only other problem that he has, and which you've pretty much shown, is that what comes along with that great strength and intellect is a pretty big ego, uh, right. and, and a certain level of arrogance. He is yeah. not. In this, he is not as arrogant as the Khan that we know. Um, but as he himself says, and Spock uh, affirms, it's like, well, I can't help it. I am superior. I was made that way. <laughs> but, but the interesting twist here is that he's not trying to make himself lord of the universe or rule people. He really sincerely wants to set these people free from the empire. Uh, he's doing it, and, and and he believes to his core that he's the only one that can do it. I say, which is, and I don't know how deep we want to get into it. Like, I don't know if we want to spoil things. Right. Uh, uh, like I said, the whole beginning deal with the Enterprise, you know, which kind of floored me. Uh, and of course, it's not like it's the first time it's happened, but of course, when it happened in the search for Spock. There was, you know, there was nobody on it because there was only like four people on the right. Anyway, and they beamed down. In this case, they're taking out everybody. Exactly, and and of course, the person who 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 does it is the surprising part as well. Right. <laughs> and, and and of course, I'm because I'm used to the logical, normal Mr. Spock. I kept trying to think. I said, why would he agree to that? I mean, of course, he wasn't on the ship. So, but I mean, he, of course, he shot the bridge crew before the the thing even. You know the event even happened. But well, we're talking around it, so we might as well say. But it still, was, even it's, now, it's, I still find it hard to believe that. Yeah. Well, what, what, what? You know, so it's Kirk that does it, not Spock, right? Right. So remember that. Yeah. So um, we don't want to give away too much about the ending of the story. Yeah, that's and that's the, see, that's the dilemma I'm, I'm <sighs> kind of having because there's so much of the detail I want to get into, right? But I don't want to spoil. Or it. we could just say spoiler alert and talk about the whole damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm to be honest with you, I'm tempted. Uh, so let's talk about the art. I thought Matthew uh, Dowd Smith did a great job of making the characters look like who they're supposed to be. Yes, uh, he's, he's 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 a wonderful artist. In fact, we're working on two different new projects, original projects together right now. Uh, he's a very thoughtful artist, and he's very good at getting those likenesses, and yet and yet telling telling a really great comic book story with great panel to panel comic book storytelling. Um, he did a wonderful job on this book. Right. And, uh, and I also like the fact that, like, even in the fight scenes, Kirk did moves that you're used to seeing Kirk do uh -huh. in the series. You know, like the uh, deal where he basically uh, kind of uses the the counter to kind of catapult his legs in the guy. That's, right. That's Kirk uh, 
fighting style one on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt did a, he did a great job. You know, the the fun of this job for me was, and I didn't, and I didn't realize it was going to be like this till I started writing it. Is that these characters are so embedded in my consciousness? I mean, we've been watching these, we're watching Star Trek, the original series, most of our lives, right? Right. <laughs> and so when I started to write the dialogue for Khan, for Spock, for Kirk. <clears throat> There wasn't a second thought. I didn't have to think, well, how does this guy talk? How would he phrase this? It's you just know it. It's like in our it's in our collective consciousness now, you know. Um, so it was so much fun to write a dialogue for these guys. Um, I, I, it, it was great to, to have them come alive on the comic book page. And, you know, when I think about it, it's amazing considering what a Star Trek fan I am that I have not done any other Star Trek in these years in between. But I have to say it was worth waiting for to do a story. Uh, with Kirk, Spock, Khan, and the Mirror Universe, it was just such a treat. And what you know, it's it's funny you know you're talking about that because like when I especially like for Star Trek when I when I read the book, I'm imagining you know William Shatner's voice saying the lines. I'm imagining Ricardo Montalban saying the lines. Yeah, and it's right. Say that sounded just like I would imagine they would uh, they would speak. <laughs> yeah, you know, people often ask me, well, when you're writing, do you have specific do you pick specific actors to cast the characters and i always say no i have my own voices in my head you know when i hear the dialogue but for these guys of course you're hearing shatner and nimoy and ricardo montalban uh, who else would you hear it's great right and, so, and uh the uh, i loved how it ended i'm not going to say i'm not going to say uh but uh and it, it kind of it was a kind of call back and you may have meant this to be kind of a call back to the original space seed where the end they're talking about uh you know we'll be interested to see what grows from the seed you planted in a sense that's kind oh, of oh you know what that's actually very true and it didn't occur to me at all because it really does it ends with a seed being planted that could ultimately change everything for these characters in their right. world yeah yeah that's Thank great you. great insight i didn't even realize that see i was brilliant i was brilliant <laughs> without even knowing it. yeah so that's what i figured i said yep you you knew, you knew that you just didn't know it but uh I yeah i said yeah, and, and i thought that was the, a nice that's the fun nice of thing. storytelling though it's like you know we you sit down you write a story and sometimes a month later or years later you look at that story and you realize the the a certain theme that you never realized or a certain symmetry in the storytelling or a, uh, all kinds of things come out of the story meanings come out later that you're not even consciously aware of when you're writing it so for you to point that out and you know maybe on some level my unconscious mind was doing exactly that um i'm really glad you pointed that out because it's really really true and said uh okay it's funny that you know i come out going back and you know rereading that's uh i'm kind of gonna throw, throw a subject in here it's probably been maybe earlier in the year someone had asked you on twitter about uh your earlier works uh -huh. And I had asked you if, uh, you know, I responded to your Twitter thing, and I said that had you ever looked at your earlier works and thought that, you know, I, you know, I think I could do that better now. And I loved your answer for which was what? Tell me how. Which was, that, was. Uh, <laughs> that you? Okay, I was prepared for this. That you said that you just you could have, you know, you could have went that route. You could have went and tried to rewrite things, but you decided to respect the creative of your younger self. Yes, and, that's really true, and that was a lesson. That took years for me to learn, you know, I because uh, you can't help but look back on on your earlier work. And at least I can't. And and it's sometimes it's like looking in the mirror 
And you know those days when you look in the mirror and all that you see is what's wrong with you as opposed to what's right with you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so in, in a way, it's looking in this mirror with these old stories and all the flaws jump out. And that, that clunky phrase or that weird turn of plot and, oh, I wouldn't have done that that way or this way. But what I've learned over the years, and I learned it through the fans. That's how I learned it. Going to conventions, having people come up with work that maybe in the back of my head I'm thinking, God, that's not my favorite story at all. I could have done that so much better. And someone comes up, and that's a story that was really important to them and meant so much to them, and they got so much out of it. So who am I now to sit in judgment on that story if it had its impact? And that started on my journey of really reassessing the, the you know the early stories that I um, that I didn't feel good about, and I suddenly realized I have to really respect the writer I was then, because one thing I do know is I was pouring heart and soul into every story. I really, really was. And so I have learned to respect him. I talk about it as if it's another person. My right. mirror universe self from uh, 30, <laughs> 35 years ago or 40 years ago, whatever it was, and respect those stories and appreciate them in a new way. At the same time, I have to say, sometimes I read old stuff and I go, oh my God, that's so good that I don't know <laughs> if I could do that today. The same thing, but in reverse, you know? Um, so, so I, I have, I have truly come to just re respect that. And the other thing is you never want to like knock work in public for that very reason, because the story I might be dismissing, uh, offhand in public is somebody's favorite story. And I've seen that again and again. Um, so why would I want to make a fan who enjoys that work feel bad by being negative about that work? It's, it's disrespectful to the reader, you know? So uh, that's another reason that's, uh, that's helped me really come to just have a lot more respect for the early work that I did. Let's see, and that was pretty much exactly what you said in the thing. And see, because, you know, like I, I draw, so I'll look back at my old drawings and go, you, you, so I could do this a, a lot, but of course, I, I never go back to them. Uh, of course, mainly because my wife says, don't touch that. Said, uh, I like that. So, okay. Right, right. Uh, but uh, as I say, and it, it, I still haven't quite learned your lesson yet. I said I still like the even some of the stuff that I write. I still want to. I can go back and read it maybe a month or so later and go, ooh, I can I can fix that. Uh, but uh, it'll come well, to but, me. You know, once <laughs> the work is in print, you know, once the work is in print, you can't go back and fix it anyway. Well, you true. Know, we all hope that as creative people, we continue to grow and we continue to improve and we continue to get better. That's just natural. But the lesson that I learned was just because. Work can be better doesn't mean it doesn't have value. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yes, maybe I could go back in time and write story A, B, or C and make it even better. But that doesn't mean that those stories weren't good to begin with. And I have to respect that. All right. Very good. Okay. Uh, we Let's go ahead and cover another quick section before we jump into Imagination 101. Uh, and that is... Craven. Like I said, when we last talked, we had uh, talked quite a bit about Craven's Last Hunt, and you know, we came down to, you know, if they did an adaptation, who we'd want to cast as Craven. And both you and I were just, I, I don't know. But like I said, but recently you tweeted out that you thought maybe Carl Orban. And I was, the more I think of it, the more I think that's a great idea. You know, uh, I, was watching, I was watching the new season of The Boys, and uh, Carl Urban is so good on that show. And I was looking at his face and I was looking at that beard that he's got and feeling his intensity as an actor. 
and he's an actor with great range. He can play Dr. McCoy in one movie and, and, and then play this, this totally opposite kind of character on The Boys, you know? And I just thought, oh, my God, there's Craven. And, and, and I just, you know, I, I put it out there just casually because who am I? I'm not casting the movie. I'm just, some, <laughs> even though it's my story, I'm still just some guy with an opinion. You know, Sony makes that movie there. There's a very good chance they will not be listening to my casting ideas. Um, and I put it out there and Twitter just went bananas, not in a bad way, but people really responded to that. Um, and then, you know, I think the vast majority of people thought, what a great idea. And there were the people that were like, oh, but I think so-and-so would be better or so-and-so would be better. Or, you know, um, Jason Momoa would be better or The Rock would be better or whoever. Um, but I, I, I really think Carl Urban would just be superb as Craven. He would bring real depth and dimension to the character, I think. Uh, and, and like I said, I'm usually terrible at these casting questions. You know, people ask me and I go, I don't know. Or I think of like some actor I love from like an old black and white 1940s movie who's been dead for 40 years. You know, <laughs> doesn't, re doesn't really help. And how about, you know, James Cagney is Spider-Man or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Stewart is Superman. Um, so that's not very helpful. Uh, so, so but this one really resonated with me. I thought, wow, he would just be sensational and then you know i was and, and and if you're out there podcaster forgive me i was on another show and i forget which one it was and the host of that show said here's my idea for craven's last hunt you get back you get sam raimi and toby mcguire and kirsten dunce because you need an older spider-man and yeah you know toby mcguire's in his 40s but he could play he could play 30s if he had to and 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 let them do craven's last hunt and i thought that's a pretty brilliant idea. I thought that was a very, very, uh, very cool idea. Um, but they'd have to do it soon or Toby Maguire will be too old for sure. <laughs> but, but to, you know, give it back to Sam Raimi and, and, and play with that cast because then, you know, we have, we know them and we know uh, Peter and Mary Jane and their relationship and we're connected to that. And so you bring Craven into that and, and you, you fill in a little bit of the history and off you go. And it could be a pretty cool movie. Someone else said, yeah, that's a great idea, but maybe they should use Andrew Garfield instead. And uh, well, that's okay. But I, I like that. I really love the Raimi movies, especially the first two. So I have a, I have a great attachment to that version of Spider-Man. I've enjoyed uh, the newer versions, but I really love those first two uh, Sam Raimi movies, especially the second one, which I think is one of the most perfect superhero movies ever made. I said, well, and as you know, as the story is laid out, right? It's a mature Spider-Man. I guess yeah, Andrew Garfield could do it. I mean, Tom Holland can't do it; he's too young. He's uh, yeah, he's young. They would have to, you know, you'd have to wait, you know, eight or ten years before you could do that story with Tom Holland. So, and I've read different people where they were talking about, you know, if they adapted the story, that they would basically kind of change Vermin out. I said, so would would that work? No, you need absolutely need vermin in that story, right. because you need you need the element to contrast Craven's vision of Spider-Man and Peter's vision of Spider-Man. And the whole thing about vermin is that he is so uh, vicious and animalistic and loathsome. I mean, for God's sake, he eats people. Um, that 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 when you see the way Peter responds to this character versus the way. Craven responds to it, it really draws a stark contrast because Peter being Peter, 
despite the fact that he's appalled by this creature, he still has compassion for this creature, something that Craven would never, ever have. I see. And that's actually another reason why I think Carl Urban would be great. And as you say, because of his range as an actor and he's done, you know, he's done action. He's uh, but truth be known in Thor Ragnarok. I didn't even realize that was him initially. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I so, forgot uh, he was even in it. So people reminded me. There's yes. all these people saying they never cast people twice in Marvel movies, so he can't be Craven. And I'm saying, first of all, I'm just having a fantasy here. Right. Let me have my fantasy. Don't tell me why I can't have it. You know? I, I'm still not sure. what Where is that written down? Yeah, I know. Where, do where, it. Where, is that, where is that written down? And even if you know someone five years ago said that, that doesn't mean someone at Marvel couldn't turn around tomorrow and say, okay, Carl Urban's Craven. So what if he was in another movie? And also the way I envision it, you know, is sort of the way they did the Joker movie, a standalone movie. It doesn't have to be connected in continuity to anything that's certainly, you know, especially if you went with Tobey Maguire, it couldn't be connected to the current Marvel universe. It will, it'll exist in its own, its own universe. And you tell a nice, dark, mature Spider-Man story. Uh, and wrong with that? <laughs> nothing's wrong with that. Nothing at all. And, you know, we're, I always say worst case scenario, not even worst case scenario. You know, I've, I've written so so many of these uh, uh, animated movies for uh, Warner now, uh, I would love to see Marvel do, do it, go that way. Do an animated movie. I'll write it and get Carl Urban to be the voice of Craven. You can get Tommy McGuire to be the voice of Peter and not even worry about the fact that he's 45. You know, right. Because so it's animation. Perfectly, uh, yeah. So, um, um, and in fact, you know, if you think about we're in this post into the Spider-Verse world, not even just a straight-to-DVD animated movie, they could do a big screen really, really high-end animated movie of Craven, and bring back that original cast. Now, that's an idea I really like. Wow. Mm. I just thought of that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, need to get, you need to start pushing that. I okay. know. I know. Okay. So um, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, you've been, you've been a busy fellow this year. Uh, yeah. I was just looking it over between, uh, you know, Superman, Red Sun, Adam Strange, and recently Deathstroke. And, and, and that's right. And the, along with the Adam Strange short, there's also a death short, Neil Gaiman's death character. Right. And I, before I'll get the plug in right now. Go ahead, do it. The, the death short and the Adam Strange short will be on the new Batman Death in the Family uh, Blu-ray, which comes out in October. And uh, both those shorts are really, really, I, I'm very happy with the way they turned out. But I have to say the death short is one of my favorite things that I've ever worked on in animation. It turned out so beautifully, and it's a very, very different kind of story. The Adam Strange story is very different for Adam Strange, um, uh, but the Death Short is really more like a, I've described it as like a little Twilight Zone episode, as opposed to, there's no super heroics involved, there's no body punching and hitting, it's more like a poetic mood piece. And and uh, the director, Sam Liu, who, who had the original uh, idea for how to play this, he did such a beautiful job, and the voice acting is so good, and I'm just so proud of that piece. Um, uh, I've, I have to say, as I said to somebody recently, I have enjoyed almost everything I've worked on in animation. So when I say project, you know, a project like Death is extra special to me, it doesn't in any way take away from the quality of the other projects, especially when you're talking about things like Deathstroke and Red Sun and Adam Strange, which are all really excellent. But there was something about that Death project felt very personal, um, and I'm so, so happy with it. But let's now let's talk about Deathstroke and Red Sun. <laughs> right now, to be honest with you, I did not, of course, this tells you how uh, uninformed I was. I didn't realize that Deathstroke was originally meant to be a TV series. Well, here's how it works, and I have to always explain this when people ask because yep. most most people just don't know. 
There's something called CW Seed, which is an app that's connected to the to the CW network, the network that brings you Supergirl and Flash and all those characters. Mm-hmm. CW Seed Network has uh, they have a lot of older programming, you know, older shows that they bring back, and they also do original programming. And they've done a number of animated DC uh, characters. I, that's Constantine City of Demons, the movie that I wrote with, originally was a CW Seed series. And how it works is I write a full-length animated movie. They break it up they, into shorter episodes. Uh, they play that on CW Seed, but they play it in an edited form. So there's 15 or 20 minutes of the movie that you never get to see on Seed. So when the Blu-ray comes out, you get uh, everything you saw on Seed plus the extra 15, 20 minutes of the movie. So you, that's the full, complete story. So that's what we did with Constantine, and that's uh, what we have done with Deathstroke. So now the Blu-ray came out, I guess, maybe about a month ago. And uh, that's the whole story. And it's Michael Chiklis is playing uh, Deathstroke, which is really great casting. But all the casting for these things is always wonderful. And uh, the movie turned out really, really well. I'm very happy with it. And, uh, like I said, I didn't realize that anyone could fit that many things in in 2020, considering how... Uh... But uh, yes, that you've been a, you've been a busy fellow, and you're about ready to get busier uh, because you got Imagination 101 coming, the virtual yes. version. So right. tell 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 us all about Imagination 101. So on and off for about I don't know eight or ten years now, I've been doing this workshop. Uh, what 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 it began because I was actually doing a little uh, an interview at the Museum of Comic Art in New York City. Uh, my friend Danny Fingeroth was interviewing me about my career. And you sit and you t- and we talk for like two hours, and you talk for two hours, and suddenly I'm realizing, uh, the le- a the length of my career, and b what you learn in the co- course of a career, uh, how much I know about the game of storytelling, and you know when I started in the business, I had people like Paul Levitz and Jack Harris and Lynn Ween and Jim Shooter teaching me, great teachers, really, uh, um, uh, really helping me master the craft of comics, and I thought you know I've learned all this stuff. Wouldn't it be great to create a little workshop and give some of that back? Take what I've learned and do for people what Len and Jim and Paul and Jack did for me in the early days of my career. Um, so I put this workshop together. I don't do them. It's not like I, I do them like clockwork. I do them sort of when the whim hits, you know. And uh, I, I did one recently. Uh, well, recently. Now I realize now it was last November. And, we were, uh, and, and I had another one scheduled for this past May that COVID wiped out. And people have said to me over the years, are you ever gonna do it online? Because now I've had people come from all over the world. I've had people come from Australia and Mexico and Puerto Rico, and which is great. But lots of people, you know, it's, it's, it's a big deal, even in the United States. I've people come from all over the United States. It's a big deal to get on a plane and go fly somewhere and get a hotel and deal with the whole expense of traveling and the time uh, of traveling. And they kept saying, well, will you ever bring it online? And I thought, well, that's interesting. I should do that at some point. And I, I never got around to it. And COVID, COVID came along, and we're all home anyway. And everyone's doing everything online. And I thought, finally, it's time to bring this workshop online. So I have a, a, a my friend Adam is launching a, a new site called comicsplex.com. It just launched. He's just putting it together. But what he's envisioning it as is a website where professionals and fans 
um, and, and, and retailers and everybody in the comic book community could just come and interact in a lot of different ways. And one of the things that he wanted to do was have workshops on the site. So this is going to be the first workshop. I'm sort of helping him launch the site. We're going to do it in November, and it's going to be over the course of two, it's, it's two weekends in November, 10 hours. If you go to either comicsplex.com or my website, jmdmateus.com, and go to the workshops section, uh, you'll get the information there, and you can there'll be a link to register. And I keep it small, maybe ten or twelve people tops. So it's 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 a very intimate experience, and it will be equally intimate online because it'll be a small group. And I'm just very excited about bringing this online. And we talk about the business of of writing and creating story. Um, you know, we focus it through the lens of comics, but really, when you talk about storytelling. It applies to anything. We talk a little bit about my animation work and how and the difference between comics and animation. But the truth is a story is a story is a story. So you could take you could apply what we're talking about and apply it to novels and apply it to screenplays, uh, you know, apply it to anything across the board. And so we talk about the practicalities of a life in writing as a freelance writer, uh, the nuts and bolts of how this stuff is put together. But the fun is also we talk about the metaphysics of story and where do these things come from and how do we become channelers to kind of bring these stories out of the ether and and and, and bring them down to earth. So we we really talk about story from every angle and it's really fun. So I you know I spend a good part of the class basically talking uh, to the students clearly because that's what they're paying for, right? <laughs> uh, so um, and and there's lots of room for asking questions along the way. And then what we do on the final day is we take everything we've talked about and everything we've learned, and as a group, we put a story together. And then everybody goes off and writes their version of the story, which they send to me, and I give them feedback on that. So I will be doing it, like I said, two weekends, a Saturday, Sunday, each uh, for the two weekends, uh, ten hours. And and it will all kind of come together at the end with the group creating the story together. And it's really, really fun. So anyone out there that's interested, and I hope uh, hope you are, uh, either go to comicsplex.com uh, or go to my website, jmdmateus.com, and go to the workshop sections, and there will be information about how to sign up. Cool. So I didn't, I didn't know about the end part of it, which actually that's – that's me. It's really exciting as far as yeah. Know. We really have fun when we do that. Everybody gets very pumped up and very excited, and 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 we kind of and we start with nothing. We start with a blank slate, and we we pitch we pitch ideas about well, well you want to do this, you want to no, well, how about this, that, and then from there we begin to build it up. And the fun is also you know that everyone goes off and writes of the story that we discussed. And everyone comes back with different versions. It doesn't matter what we discussed in the room, you know. Everyone, everyone, it goes through the filter of the personality of each person. So if there's 10 people, I'm going to get back 10 different versions of that story, which is really, really fun for me as I read through it to see what everyone has done with the ideas that we put on the table. So in the years that you've done this, have you had anyone who has, you know, gotten published or uh, has started to make a career as far as writing goes? I've had folks that have gone out, mostly that have gone out and published their own books. Yeah, not that they're not necessarily working for Marvel in DC, but they they have uh, gone out and published their own work. Uh, whether it's comics, one guy uh, has published some children's books. Um, you know, so it's what I find for a lot of people is how do I put this? They need permission to unleash their creative self. I don't mean that in a negative way. Because a lot of people that you start out in life and you're very creative and then they get swept up in a job and family and and and, and they, lo they lose their creative center a little bit. And they come to the workshop 
and they get that spark back and they start creating again and they and they put that book together and they get it out in the world or oh, the flip side is i've had young people who are just starting out who need the focus and the creative direction and that and and that's very exciting for them as well so um and some people just want to come and talk about story and they don't care if anything out in the world uh but they just enjoy the process so it's really if you love comics if you love storytelling and obviously if you're if you're a writer if you're someone who who is a writer and, and is looking looking for direction in your pathway it's a great class and especially if you want to learn uh, about the nuts and bolts of comics and then again as i said the metaphysics of storytelling it's all there and uh so come on and join us yeah, um, so are you still doing the creation point story consultation thing? Oh, oh thanks for that plug as well. I forgot. You're welcome. That. <laughs> See, I don't have to plug my stuff. You can do it all for me. Um, yes. So for, you know, uh, what, what, what it's worked in the past is that, you know, some people come to the workshops, but there are other people I've worked with that want to work with me one-on-one on it. -on -one on like they have a project, uh, like one particular uh, uh, person, one client had a graphic novel that he wanted to do. So we work through Creation Point Story Consultation, and there's a story consultation section on my website as well. Um, they have a project. They come to me, and we start working on that project from the beginning. And if they want me, I'm there to see, help them see it through to the end, uh, someone to bounce off of, to give them feedback, to give them editing, whatever it is that they need one-on-one. -on -one. And that's a very different experience as well because it's very intimate because it's just me and one other person. Uh, and, and my job is not to impose my vision on them, but uh, as the best editors that I've worked with have done, to help them see their own vision more clearly and bring it out into the world in a way that will please them. Um, and it's really fun working with people that way. So again, if anyone's, if you know, if you've got that piece, that's that story that's burning inside you that you really uh, want to start, or or you're halfway through and you can't get finished, uh, we could work one on one and uh, and get it out there. And I've worked with people on on comics, on prose, on screenplays, on everything. So um, it, it, it doesn't have to be a comic book project. It could be any any writing project that you have. All right. Okay. Um, well, we're just about done here. But uh, like I said, you've been a busy man. But do you got anything new coming up that you're free to talk about? That I'm free to talk about? No. I'm working on a lot of stuff right now, including four different uh, – new original creator-owned comics and i just got a call from uh i can't say which publisher just yesterday <laughs> about a new project and i'm also waiting to hear about another warner brothers animation project so there's a lot going on right now and um i'm very excited about doing the these uh the four new projects because all of them are stories that i've wanted to get out into the world for quite some time now uh, one of them we're going to get a Kickstarter going on probably early next year. Another one we're going to put out by ourselves just digitally. And, um, you know, there's a lot of new avenues to get stories out into the world right now. And I'm exploring with my artist friends. We're exploring uh, what's the best way to get it out there. You know, what about, you know, especially for creator own work, what about bypassing, bypassing the publishers and just getting the work out on our own? And there are, there are ways to do it now that were not available to us, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. So it's very exciting, and they're, like I said, they're all stories that, I'm, that I've wanted to get out for some time, and I'm working with, uh, I mentioned Matthew Dow Smith I'm working with, I'm working with uh, Sean McManus, uh, who's a wonderful artist. We did Dr. Fate together at DC, and one of my favorite collaborators, working with a wonderful Greek artist named Vasilis Godzillas, 
Um, and and we're just just a lot of creativity going on right now. And like I said, uh, you know, other things as well brewing. So very active, very busy, very creative, and I'm very happy, especially at this time in our world right now, when things feel so bleak. So bleak. That right. that creativity really is 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 a it's almost a spiritual practice, you know, for me. It opens up a door to another world and another reality that in some ways feels more grounded and more true than the reality I read about on the news every day. And it really it helps me just as a person just to sit down and write and create and find my own creative center. The same way that meditating helps me find my own spiritual center. So um that's why I think I think there's and I see it with a lot of people that I know right now. It's a there's a lot of creativity going on out there. A lot of people, that's their response to what's going on. So I think next year, watch it all flower. Watch all the new projects that are going to come exploding out, uh, not just from me, but from a lot of people next year. I think it's going to be very exciting. And I hope that it's exciting in a world, and I'm going to get political and I don't care, in a world where we have a new president, <laughs> where where COVID is, or COVID is uh COVID is being dealt with in an intelligent, compassionate way, and that, and that we're and that we're we're all standing in a better world next year. One quick uh, thing: you said you know you got all this stuff going on. Do you ever reach a point where you just say, "I just cannot take on one more project. I can't do any more than I'm doing." Yeah, there are times when that happens, where you have, where someone calls and says, "Hey, we want you to do such and such," and it's a great project, and there just physically isn't the time in the day to do it. You know. Uh, when, when I'm in terms of like generating these new projects that I'm working on right now, we're creating our own timelines for them. You know, so if artist A, uh, you know, needs a few months to finish up his current project before he can start drawing, that's fine. And we're, you know, so we're working it all in, in ways that we're all comfortable and we're not we're not creating, you know, ridiculous deadlines for ourselves. Whereas when I'm taking on a project for Marvel or DC or or any other company, um, there, you know, the deadlines are very specific and often very tight. So you have to be aware of that and you can't take on work that you know you can't do because all you're doing is screwing up every other member of the team, especially as the writer who is sort of the prime mover and no one else can get to work until you write the script. And, and, and if as the writer, you're screwing it up, all you're doing is taking time away from the artist, from the penciler, from the inker, from the letterer, from the colorist. So, you, you know, uh, you have to know your limits. You have to know. Now, my limits are pretty broad. I can work on multiple projects at the same time. I can work on an animated project and a couple of comic book projects and, and you know, a, a personal project at the same time. But there's, there's still a limit. So there's a certain point where when the phone rings, you have to say, God, that's a great project. And unless you can wait three months, I can't do it. You have to be professional about it. Oh, uh, you said, you, you know, you can wait a few months. Have you, you had projects that you could said, yeah, I mean, you can wait a few months. I, I still want to do it, but we just can't do it now. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I, you know, I sometimes say just that I would love to do this, but I can't do it now. If you can wait, I'm happy to do it. If you can't, then you have to move on and find the next person. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's something that would be really fun, but uh, you can't, you just have to say no, because you want, always want to do your best work. And if you overload yourself, you're not going to be doing your best work. And that doesn't serve the project. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve your editor. So um, so you have to say no. Happily, um, I've always been pretty good at balancing balancing my time. But there certainly have been times where it's just 
you're just too busy and you can't do it. And, or, you know, on occasions I've, I've had things where I say, well, what if I brought in so-and-so to co-write it with me and we can work on it together and that'll give me the breathing room to, uh, to work on the project, but I, maybe I'll plot it and someone else will script it or, or they'll plot it and I'll script it. And this way we both get a little more breathing room in our schedule. So there are ways around it. There are definitely ways around it. Very good. Okay, so if anyone wants to keep up with what James is doing, and I, I certainly do, you can follow him on Twitter at jmdamateus, or at his website, which he's already mentioned, at www.jdamateus.com. And uh, I thank you very and, much. And I'm over on Facebook as well, if you want to hop over oh, to Facebook. Well, yeah. very good. Yep. And uh, I thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll, we'll be paying attention to what you've got coming up in the future, and maybe we'll talk again when that comes to fruition. Uh, I look forward to that, Martin. Thank you so much, and please stay safe and healthy. All right. Thank you very much, Jam. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.